many executive orders. He's allowed to sign them, but in the act of signing them, he's damaging the system, you know. And you sort of, and there is an argument to be had. Well, well, I don't like the system. If you don't like the system, it's not necessarily a bad thing. If you think it doesn't matter whether you, you know, if you think that Donald Trump's making all the right calls, you know, and then you know by the end of this um, four years and four months coming up, assuming for the sake of the scenario that he gets voted in in November, look, he might get voted out, and then there might be riots in the street, and he might be brought back. Um, triumphantly and put on the throne. Anything could happen this time around. It's a weird world now. Um, you know, we've got a pandemic, you know. And when pandemics came along in uh, ancient Rome, like the Antonine Plague and all that sort of stuff, and all that sort of stuff, you know, um, that was a, you know, that was a disruptor of a situation as well. Um, uh, those things triggered things as well. Um, uh, there was yeah, there was one plague that ripped through the legions in ancient Rome, and um, and that pretty much uh, that almost put Rome, the western half of the Roman Empire, to the sword, and and you know contributed to its collapse altogether. Um, so um, you know viruses like this current COVID nineteen could trigger things, you know, does happen, um, but for that, you know, uh, yeah. Maybe the Roman Empire, you know, might have started to come up again. Look, Rome, Rome died ten times, twenty times, but had this way of coming back up again. But you know, one day it didn't. It came back. It came back. The Western Roman Empire, it rose again from the ashes like a phoenix every time, except for the one time it didn't. And uh, the emperor was dismissed. You know, across to where did he go? Now just go off to Constantinople or something. You know, the Germans said, <laughs> who took over. Um, now, um, so there's that. So, look, it's an interesting thing. It does feel like Rome. And um, as far as, you know, my first instinct is to say, oh, man, you know, Donald Trump is breaking all the, you know, well-accepted rules, the unofficial rules, that, you know, you should use executive orders only in an emergency you know, much like Dr. Abby over in Ethiopia, which is always the example I use Ethiopia when I'm talking to my goddaughter because she's actually a gun when it comes to Ethiopia. So it's a good comparison point, you know. And, um, yeah, Donald Trump shouldn't be using so many executive orders. I'm, you know, that's my instinct, you know. But then I have to check myself because you always have to doubt you're right. You know? And I say, oh, well, that's only if you think that America is worth, you know, the, the system that is America, is worth saving. You know? And the system that is America, as we sit here in the 21st century, is really one that's looking a hell of a lot like um, an establishment elite, you know, on both sides of the fence, you know, the Democrats and the Republicans, encouraging, you know, super wealth for the few, and, uh, and you know, vast, a vast population of kind of slave class almost working class slave class uh, you know and maybe America's time is up maybe it would be a good thing if it went we'll just have a look let's just have a look see what an empire looks like yeah let's just roll the dice mm-hmm. you know even when um, the republic was you know, in retrospect 
put to the sword, the old Roman Empire was put to the sword, it wasn't officially put to the sword. Augustus was saying, listen, I'm saving the Republic, but, you know, in retrospect now, we say he, he was the first emperor, but he did not call himself the first emperor of a new, a new Rome, you know. Yeah, there was no official revolution. Uh, it just turned out that way. So revolutions can happen that way. And, you know, I think even the emperors that came after, uh, Augustus, Octavian, Octavius, Octavian, um, um, you know, they didn't call themselves emperors, you know, because I think there was still a, a lot in the air in ancient Rome saying, this is just an emergency. And, you know, we needed Augustus Caesar in place just to, just to calm the farm, you know, and uh, put down Marius and, you know, sort out Cleopatra and all that sort of rubbish, you know. We just needed Augustus to do that, sort it all out, and then we can just ease back into the Republic again later, you know, once we once the crisis is over. But the crisis, you know, no, once they started on Empire, you know, once they changed the rules um, or the habits, the political habits, much like Donald Trump is changing the political habits of America by signing so many emergency orders, even though it's not officially doing anything against the rules, um, you're, you're shifting the way politics works and you're ushering in a, a, a new political system without actually declaring it. You know, because you're acting like an emperor. And then, um, and if you do that for too long, you've got an empire. Regardless of the constitution, constitution, uh, constitution, sort of, sort of thing. Um, in the constitution, I think the American constitution, um, declarations of war have to be run by Congress, you know, to debate and all that sort of stuff. Um, but there's been so many presidents in a row now since World War Two, who have um, just declared wars as executive orders, essentially, um, and bypassed Congress. Now it has become the rule that it's um, it's a power that belongs with the president. So by, by the time Donald Trump got in, he didn't bring this one in, his predecessors did. And that's every one of them. Uh, they all were happy, all those presidents before Donald Trump, to have the power to declare war to come across to the president and away from Congress, bypass Congress on that one. Um, you know, with a, you know, because there was always an emergency Iraq, 9-11, all that sort of stuff. Afghanistan, Vietnam. Oh my God, the commies are coming. Dominoes, you know. We, um, or Korea, you know. Oh my God, nuclear bombs. Could be dropped any minute, quick. Um, we haven't got time to go to Congress. You know, the, you know, Harry Truman, yes. Actually, no, Harry Truman was in the war, wasn't he? World War II. Harry Truman dropped the bomb. Did he go through, past Congress, via Congress on that one? I don't think he did. I'd have to check the history books. Uh, now, Harry Truman, I heard, was only in the job three months by the time he made the decision um, to drop the bomb. Um, he'd been um, vice president before that. Now, when he became um, president, Harry Truman, uh, only then did he find out that the atom bomb had even been invented. Nobody knew. And then within three months, he dropped it on Hiroshima and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, when the Korean War came along, you know, 
can't remember the sequence, but I think maybe Russia had a few bombs by the nuclear bombs of its own by then, and um, and uh, the Soviet Union, that is, no Russia, um, bloody Bolsheviks. <laughs> uh, I'm a bit sketchy on Russian revolutions and all that sort of stuff, but um, but um, yeah, the president had to act without going through Congress because he knew more about what was going on with the nuclear bombs and all that sort of stuff. And all that sort of stuff. it was unprecedented times, you know. So I think he made a bit of some unilateral calls around the Korean police operation, <laughs> which looked a hell of a lot like a war. But I'm not sure that it was declared as a war because if it had been declared as a war, both the Soviet Union and yeah, Khrushchev, was it? Yeah, I don't know if I've got the sequence of all these leaders right. And Truman, you know, they would have been kind of forced to use nuclear bombs if it was a war. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Joel, we're, we're just policing this thing, we're just policing this thing, and both Truman and Khrushchev, was it? Truman and Khrushchev were both saying the same thing. We're just, just a policing thing, just a policing action, you know. Bow, 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 you know, just guns, bow, bow, you know. No nuclear bombs, you know. Just helicopters and normal bombs and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's funny when you you have some big guns like nuclear bombs, but you don't use them. You know, because recently, just recently, we had India and China have a very serious skirmish. I think a hundred and something people, soldiers got killed or something. But both sides knew that not only should they not use their nuclear weapons, but they shouldn't even use guns. And the... Um, the Chinese army met the Indian army. It was this over, you know, in one of their border disputes up near the Himalayas. Um, and it was over a few feet of land and all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> and uh, this is just a couple of weeks ago. And they attacked each other hand to hand. Because there's some agreement in place that, you know, if we start using weapons, we won't be able to control that. So no weapons, you know, India and China have got this little arrangement going. Not only will we not use weapons, we won't even use normal guns, rifles even. And they attacked each other with sticks and rocks, threw rocks at each other and hand to hand. Yeah, you know? And um, what a fascinating thing. I mean, India's Air Force makes England's Air Force look like um, a couple of Cessnas. It's about how much bigger is India's armed forces compared to England's now. You know, India used to be owned by England and now India's uh, power, armed forces wise, makes England look tiny. You know? And then you've got China, you know, which is massive as well. And they're attacking each other with sticks. Yeah. Now, if that keeps going, they're going to actually start sharpening those sticks. And, and they would, and I would. Right now, I'm sure that the Indians and the Chinese on that border are actually in their barracks, sharpening the ends of their sticks, you know, going and collecting and turning them into spears. You know, when they've got perfectly beautiful, you know, automatic weapons in their barracks, but they're putting them aside because that's the agreement. And they're actually making spears, I bet. Don't you find that amazing? They might even go to bows and arrows. 
Um, anyway, so that's that. And the Korean War was sort of a version of that, you know, except the line was moved, you know, no nuclear weapons. Um, and, and But everything else is no holds barred, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And then the Vietnam War and all that sort of stuff. You know, but it's not like every president has been an angel since World War um, Two. Now, after Truman was Eisenhower, I think, and he had no heir. But <laughs> I mentioned that because I heard recently that every president since then, you know, that's almost in my entire lifetime, has had great hair. What's going on there? <laughs> and then I started thinking, is that true of Australia too and every other country? Do you have to have hair to be a leader these days? I think John Howard was a bit thinning. <laughs> but everyone else has had great hair. John F. Kennedy, he had great hair. Um, and they've all had great Ronald Reagan. Fantastic hair. You want good hair or no one will vote for you. I think it's true. I'm trying Margaret Thatcher. She had nice hair. Um, I'm really thinking about Tony Blair, you know, all of them. Macron, you know, Macron, Jacinta Ardern, lovely head of hair. <laughs> Is it true? Actually, I'm rolling my head around, you know, I'm going around all the countries and, um, you know, the Western countries, and they all seem to have good hair. Even the non Western countries seem to have good hair. You don't want to be bald. In the modern age, there's discrimination going on there. Um, got off track there, but it's funny, isn't it? Psychologically, uh, Donald Trump—it's all about the hair. Yeah. Um, Obama. Ah. Oh, I think he used to. He had a good head, and he had the—you know—and you, know, you kind of knew he could have, he could grow the. You know, yeah, you knew he had good hair. He was just shaving it, you know. Um, yeah. Um, oh, all right. He was black too, you know, so that was a novelty. You know. I think Hillary should have got in. She had good hair. <laughs> we needed Clintonism, yeah. Uh, Cicero would have loved Clintonism. Cicero. Yeah. Um, arguing for something evil, you know. Um, the Death Star, Rome. <laughs> but um, but he was tearful in his defence. You know, he, he honestly thought he was on the right side, Cicero. And um, it's with passion that he's trying to defend the values of Rome, the Roman Republic. And yet, arguably, I would have voted for Caesar. Isn't that interesting? When the Republic... Uh, embodied all the most noble things of you know, ideas of the time. It was a, a noble institution, but in practice it wasn't working out well. So anyway, so um, uh, what you've got is Donald Trump wanting to clean the swamp or whatever he calls it, you know, which is very similar to Julius Caesar just wanting to um, just change everything. You know. um, drain the swamp is what Donald Trump has been saying, but and that's code for I want to do what Julius Caesar used to do. You know, it wasn't it drained the swamp. You know, it was about um, yeah, let's give it all back to the people or something like that. You know, look, I don't know which situation ends up better for the people. You know, 
Would you go for Clinton? Honestly, would you go for Clintonism or Trumpism for a better outcome for the people in the end? Now you might say, oh, Clintonism, of course, you know, because they've got nice teeth, you know, and nice hair. You see, Bill Clinton, nice hair. They've all had nice hair. Reagan, um, Jimmy Carter, um, Lyndon, B yeah, Lyndon LBJ, uh, he had hair, no did he, yeah, I forget what Lyndon, whether he had hair or not, I can't even check the internet, gee don't I feel silly, um, but anyway, all the rest of them, uh, the bushes, This George Bush Senior and George Bush Dumbo. <laughs> Sorry, George W. Oh, look, he's like. Um. Anyway, so that's that. Is Clinton is Trump doing all the wrong things? Um. Or counterintuitively, is he doing all the right things? Or actually, I should say, you know, Trump before COVID nineteen and then Trump since COVID nineteen. All right, right up till COVID hit, I think he was on a winning formula, even though he was doing everything wrong. You know, much like Julius Caesar was doing everything wrong against what was right in ancient Rome, Donald Trump was doing everything wrong and counterintuitive and all that sort of stuff. But he was reeling in China, I think. I think he was reeling them in. So he was doing all the wrong things and saying all the wrong things, you know, and being absolutely horrible in his pronouncements, you know, against, um, you know, you know, he, you know, he was coming across racist and he was coming across LGBTQIA plus hating and, you know, poking fun at disabled people, but actually getting the economy back on track. I think he was counterintuitively. I would never have, you know, I'm not a Trump supporter and I was sort of saying he's going to wreck this joint. But now I'm starting to think maybe it was worth wrecking or disrupting at least, you know, the American Republic. It was going in a certain direction with, you know, Hillary had got in the establishment would have um, started all gathering on their yachts. And I think Republicans and Democrats would have been having soirees together, all that sort of stuff. It wasn't necessarily going in the right direction, America. Uh, so, you know, I, maybe I'm a revolutionary in my shed, and I don't even know it. You know? But I was, you know, was anti-Hillary, anti-Trump, anti-America, especially, you know, the way America is these days. Um, I kind of like the sober boredom of Australian politics by comparison, but that's a whole other story for a whole other episode. Um, but this is, you know, this is all the stuff of my current dialectic with my goddaughter, and it's a work in progress. I'm waiting for her to text me back, and I just now spoke for 43 minutes, <laughs> um, leveraging off <laughs> what was just a couple of texts. <laughs> You couldn't put all this down in texts, could you? It'd be a lot of texts, but I don't mind. It helps me actually think these things through myself. And more than anything, it's popcorn time. You know, because um, you can say, oh, I passionately am arguing. I'm having a say in the public domain, you know, because if you stay silent, you're part of the problem and all that sort of stuff. And I'm getting onto Twitter and I'm having all sorts of opinions all the time. I'm just smashing opinions out there. And you're not, you're just, you know, having fun on your YouTube episode and not achieving anything, you know. Look at you, you bastard, you know. Stand up for something, stand for something or you stand for nothing and all this sort of stuff, you know. And I say, yeah, you are smashing a lot of opinions into the public domain. And having nil impact. 
Yeah. Maybe I'm making more sense. <laughs> Maybe I am. But the funny thing is, I'm not being listened to, listened to uh, because you know there's better people to listen to than me. But then again, neither are you. You know, when you're putting opinions into, smashing opinions into the public domain on Twitter, you're not actually making a difference. Yeah, um, your comments are just kind of disappearing into the ether. You're nobody like me. You're in your shed too. You're nobody. And your opinions count for nothing, or next to nothing. And they're probably wrong anyway, like mine. You know, you're probably thinking on a too shallow level. You know? Uh, you know, you're not thinking three steps ahead, quite possibly, you know. Now, I'm, I think I'm thinking two steps ahead. I can't even think three steps ahead and four steps ahead. I really can't. I don't have the brain power. I've got a nephew. G'day, Christian. Who can? He beats me at chess every time. It's embarrassing. He's about 15. <sighs> Speaking of which, I've got to download the app again. He wants to get back into it. He beat me... 14 times in a row or something, and I'm not a bad chess player, I'm, I'm normal. I've never bothered studying moves and everything, I just take each game as it comes, because you know, I haven't got time to be actually thinking it through, but I really work hard while I'm playing a game. He beats me every time, and some of the moves he makes, I go, wow. Yeah. And there's a way of looking at politics like that, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kind of two moves ahead kind of guy, and that's it, max. You know, um, it's otherwise. I, I, I'm in a Zen state, and I don't. It fries my brain, and you know, life is for fun anyway, isn't it? Um, all right, that'll do. That's a long episode, but it was a lovely rant. Well, it wasn't a rant; it was a chat. You know, I'll see what my goddaughter's got coming up next. Um, but look, yes, um, I don't think I'm necessarily evil. Just sitting back highly entertained by the way the world is going. Oh, I think coronavirus has brought Trump undone to a certain extent, but the jury is out. Now, he still may get voted in in November. I predicted, that, you know, I was, I was predicting Hillary, and I got that wrong. My goddaughter predicted Trump, you know. We have these little joke prophecy moments, you know. And she said, no, Trump will get in. I said, you're joking. Hillary's got it, you know, and I said that. And I was adamant, and I said, hey, who studies politics more, me or you? And she said, you do, and which was true, you know, although I think she's starting to pass me now. She's getting older now. See, she was only a baby when I met her, <laughs> but she's starting to surpass me now. Um, the whole tone of our dialectics has changed. She's starting to uh, overtake me in, in, in political thought. You know? She's a harder worker than me on some levels. Um, I'm just in for the comedy, in it for the comedy too much. She is in it fairly seriously, you know. She's been studying Trump and all the all the angles, you know. And she knows Ethiopian politics like, you know, like anybody's business. Um, all right, so that's that. Um, but you know, for me, it is popcorn time, and for her, I think I think she loves America in a sense. You know, she um, she's. I think she's just a passionate person, and she does care for America. Oh, look, I don't want to see them all slaughtered either. You know, Rome style. I don't want to see no civil war. You know, I don't want another civil war. But, look, I don't, I don't want to see anyone slaughtered anywhere, but it's going to happen. It's here and there, around the world, occasionally. 
No one talks about the nuclear bomb anymore, Marge. You know, I think we've gotten a little bit... You know, they're all still sitting there. <laughs> How come we don't... You know, like in 90, you know, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis and all that, um, people thought that... Um, I heard Bob Dylan was writing a song, one of his peace songs, and he worked extra hard on the song because he wanted to finish it because, because he thought he might not be alive by the time he got to release it and he wanted to release it before the bomb was dropped. That's how imminent it seemed back in the 60s. You know, the nuclear bomb dropping. Um, and we kind of have relaxed on that, but be careful. You know, it could drop any time. Yeah? If the emergency is big enough. You know, maybe Donald Trump will sign an emergency um, thingamajig. Yeah? Um, a um, executive order to drop a small bomb on Shanghai as a warning. Um, and then it's on for young and old. And then everyone's like, oh man, we forgot about that. In the 1960s, yeah, we were really worried about that. And ever since then, we haven't been worried about that because it's been so long since and nobody's been dropping them. Oops. Yeah. So that could happen. Um, there was a funny thing. Oh, yeah. I was listening to this. I was listening to a Dan Carlin. He's a real expert on some of this stuff. Uh, oh, look, I downloaded an audio book. The End is Always Near by Dan Carlin. Um, I'm going to download um, The Storm Before the Storm next by Mike Duncan. I like amateurs. Um, and uh, you know, I like amateur podcaster historians and poli pol political thinkers. You know, I like the amateurs. They operate on my level. And um, But anyway, um, there was a... Look, this has nothing to do with Donald Trump and all that sort of stuff. It's just about whether the nuclear bomb, a nuclear bomb might drop on your head one day. Um, and there was a real debate. And I love humans. Um, going on after World War Two about whether, um, as a deterrent... Um, America, for example, or Russia, should be making huge bombs that could cause, you know, planetary destruction as a deterrent. You know, that was one school of thought. And the other school of thought is saying, no, because that's too much deterrent, you know, it might have the opposite effect. You know, we shouldn't even have those huge, huge, uh, you know, bombs, you know. Um, neutron bombs or whatever they are, you know, even bigger ones, what are they called? Um, whatever. Um, and, uh, and then there was another school of thought that said, no, we should actually, um, you know, both the Russians and us, um, and everyone else who might get them in the future, we should concentrate on just having small bombs, the nuclear bombs, nuclear bombs still, but, you know, the size that you'd put in a rocket launcher, you know, and jump in your bunker and then, but just a little one and blow up just one town really, not even a whole city, you know, just keep it small. So should we have thousands of little nuclear bombs or just just a few massive, huge bombs? You know, it was a real debate, this or that. And you know where they went. You know what we ended up with? Both. <laughs> you got to love humans, they're hilarious.